coverage. This is the PFT PM podcast. And now your host, Mike Florio. Monday edition of the PFT PM podcast, July 16, one of the more important days in the slow time, because this is the day the window closes on doing a long-term deal for any franchise tag players and their teams. Four guys fell into that category this year. None of them got long-term deals. Three of them were not a surprise. The Giancey of the Lions, LaMarcus Joyner of the Rams, DeMarcus Lawrence of the Cowboys. All three have signed their one-year tenders, and all three remain under contract for one year. They will not be able to do a long-term deal until after the regular season ends, and their teams will be able to tag them again next year at a 20% raise. Year three is when it becomes cost prohibitive, and that's what the Steelers are now facing given the outcome to the negotiations between Le'Veon Bell and the Steelers. And remember we had been hearing for months how much closer they were than last year? Le'Veon Bell back in February? We're a lot closer than last year. And last year we were led to believe it was close. It was so close last year, according to the leaks that were propagated by the Steelers, agent Adisa Bakari approved a deal Le'Veon Bell said no. So they were somehow closer than that, than whatever it was that was good enough for Bakari, but not good enough for Bell, and they still didn't get it done. It doesn't surprise me, because last year, it's not as difficult to crunch numbers. Last year, you got $12.1 million in hand for 2017. You have a 20% raise for 2018. That's $14.5 million. That's $26.6, $26.7 million over the first two years that needs to be fully guaranteed at signing. The problem is the Steelers don't like to have guarantees beyond the current year. Now, they could have given them a huge signing bonus. They could have done various other things. And remember, the leak was they offered him $30 million over two years, but how much of that was guaranteed at signing? And... If there isn't significantly more than the 12.1 fully guaranteed at signing, why not just roll the dice because of the payoff come year three? See, if Bell had done the deal last year, and let's say they'd offered him two years of the franchise tender fully guaranteed, okay, what happens in 2019? No guarantee, right? Is it going to be a $10 million salary? Is it going to be a $20 million salary? Is it going to be somewhere in between? And is Bell comfortable trading in his opportunity to go year to year? See, Bell is the much higher profile version of Kirk Cousins. Year to year. Now, it's riskier when you're a running back because you're one play away from having it all end. But so far, Bell has gotten through year one at $12.1 million, and now comes year two. All he's got to do is sign that tender. And it's $14.5 million. That's his 26.6, 26.7. Next year, he most likely will hit the open market. Worst case scenario for Bell would be the transition tag. Because the Steelers can do that, and it's just a 20% raise. It's not quarterback money. It's just a 20% increase over his tender this year. Three franchise tags. Tag number three equals quarterback money. So... Even if the Steelers do that, the Steelers, for whatever reason, have been one of the teams pressed up against the salary cap in recent years. I can't imagine a team that really wants Bell not being able to come up with an offer that the Steelers can't match, regardless of whether they would. 
it would be easy to come up with a structure that they can't match. Very easy. So I think, as a practical matter, he's done after this year. His agent has already said so. All practical realities, this will be Bell's last year because next year they can't keep him from hitting the open market. See, I know Steelers fans out there and football fans generally, there's a very pro-management vibe that emanates your attitude toward football. And I think part of it is the teams will be around a lot longer than the players. The players come and go all the time. And ultimately we're talking about degrees of rich. What's the difference between 10 million and 12 million? Nothing if you only have 10,000 in your checking account and savings account and every other account thrown into one. What's the difference between 27 and 30 million? What's the difference between 50 million and 58 million? To somebody who doesn't have it, it's not much. But for the player who has limited opportunities to maximize his earnings, it's all the difference in the world. This has got to last him. I understand first world problems. I understand. I understand all that. But the physical toll, the mental toll, the damage to the brain, the shortening of the lifespan, potentially, the orthopedic injuries, and that money has to last as long as possible. Because whatever Le'Veon Bell makes over the balance of his NFL career, chances are he's not going to make anything close to that in whatever he does in some other line of work. And that applies to almost all NFL players. Very rarely is there a former NFL player who made really good money in the NFL who finds a way to make even better money afterward. So you have to assume this is it. This has got to last. So you make as much as you can. I fully support that. Make as much as you can. And I like the fact that Le'Veon Bell is willing to push back against the Steelers. I'm sure it drives them crazy. They are used to, when push comes to shove, the player saying, okay, regardless of who it is. And they know how to press buttons, and they know how to pull strings, and they know how to manipulate all that crap that they leaked about Antonio Brown last year in the immediate aftermath of the season. He's selfish. He freelances. He's this. He's that. Next thing you know, he has a new contract on terms that were acceptable to the Steelers. And they did it early. Why? That's what the Steelers wanted. Steelers wanted it to be done early. Steelers usually get what they want. They didn't get what they want with Le'Veon Bell. They wanted this deal done back in February. Le'Veon Bell held firm. And now I'm sure they put a number on the table. And Le'Veon Bell decided, you know what? It's not good enough because I'll make $14.5 million this year. And somebody's going to pay me way too much money next year. Somebody will. Look at what the 49ers paid Jarek McKinnon, a guy who had been a career backup in Minnesota. $7.5 million for year for Jarek McKinnon. Imagine what they would have paid Le'Veon Bell if he was on the market this year. See, the Steelers have exercised their prerogative to keep Le'Veon Bell off the market. They have short-circuited his opportunity to get paid. And now that opportunity is going to come next year. He has one other nuclear option. I hate to use that that term anymore. But anyway, he has one other nuclear option. And this is something that he could have done back in the 2017 postseason. 
and I thought he was maybe hinting around at it. Regular season ends, Steelers qualify for the playoffs. In advance of the first playoff game, Le'Veon Bell says, you know what, by rule, the window on doing a long-term deal has opened. I want a long-term deal right now, or I'm not playing in your playoff game. Oh, what's that? I'm not going to make my $40,000 in in playoff share for the divisional round? Oh, that's a shame. Now, look, they could still fine him for conduct detrimental to the team. But if he really wants to go hard against the Steelers, and you know what, now would be the time to make sure privately they understand where this is going. And if he's even considering it, because, you know, we've seen the leaks today, Shefty, oh, he he may skip half the season to reduce his exposure to injury. Yeah, and now Le'Veon Bell's tweeting it's going to be his best year ever. But if they really want to scare him, what Adisa Bakari should say to the Steelers is this. Look, guys, we understand there's nothing more you can do at this point. You can't give him a multi-year deal. They could offer him more than $14.5 million. They can offer any terms they want on a one-year deal. It just can't be more than a one-year deal. But Bakari could say to them, I've conferred with my client, and here's what he's decided. Given the likelihood that you're going to use his services extensively and heavily this year because this is the last year you're going to have him, you're essentially going to treat him like a rented car. When the playoffs come around, he's not going to play unless he has a long-term deal. So you're on notice now. You got five months, and hopefully it's a great season, and hopefully the Steelers are headed to the playoffs. But the day after week 17, he better have a new deal, and here's what he wants. And if you don't give it to him, he's not playing. If that's something Bell's thinking about, the sooner his agent makes sure the team's aware of it, the better. Now, the team would probably leak it at some point to make him look bad. They got a bad habit of doing that. Remember last year they were putting pressure on Bell to show up for training camp in the preseason? Antonio Brown was in on it. Remember Antonio Brown whining not that long ago about the media reacting to things? He says he was getting himself injected into Le'Veon Bell's business when Le'Veon Bell wasn't there for the offseason program. Well, you're not going to get better if you're not here. Yeah, he was withholding services in the hopes of getting that long-term contract that he hasn't gotten. That's all this guy wants. And I understand Steelers fans want Le'Veon Bell to continue to play for the Steelers well into the future until the point where the Steelers decide it's in their interest to tear up his contract and tell him to get on down the highway. But think about the, the individual for a change. Think about the human being. Root for the millionaire instead of the billionaire. Try it. Think about it. Le'Veon Bell has leverage and he's willing to use it. And Le'Veon Bell is playing the game. And so many of these guys refuse to do so, it makes it even more jarring and stunning when one of them does. I support Le'Veon Bell. And this isn't an anti-Steelers thing, and it's funny. So many people think I'm a Steelers fan. I grew up 60 miles from Pittsburgh. Even if I was a diehard Steelers fan, I'd like to think at this point in my life, I'd understand that the team is always going to make plenty of money. The players need to make what they can. I mean, this all happens the same day we find out what the Packers' revenues were for 2017. Record revenues. $454.9 million in revenues for the fiscal year ending March 31. 
454.9. Net revenues, what were they? Looked like they were 34 million in profit. Net revenues, they got 34 million more than they spent last year. And see, the Packers, because they are the only publicly held team, we get access to their books every year. That has to drive the other teams crazy. And there's nothing they can do. There's no way to put that toothpaste back in the tube. There's no way. Because how do you go out and buy up all the stock? You can't. All it takes is one person to say, nope, I ain't selling it back. I got my my uh, my certificate that's on the wall in the game room, and it's staying there. But that's got to drive the other teams crazy that people have access to what teams make, to what a team makes. Now, look, a lot of it depends upon the contracts that go in and come out and how much money's paid here and how much money's paid there. And if they had done Aaron Rodgers' contract before March 31, it may have chewed into those net revenues a little bit. But the bottom line is record total revenue for the Packers. And if they're making $454 million, most of the other teams are making as much or more or close to it. So that's why the players got to get while they can, what they can while they can. Let me try that again. That's why the players got to get what they can while they can. Because for the teams, they're going to continue to get it every year, every year, every year. For Le'Veon Bell, this is it. One shot. Get what you can. That applies to all players. And I'm ashamed it took me however many years it took me to come to that conclusion. I've been doing this 18 years now. I think in the last three or four, at some point after the most recent CBA, at some point after we became fully aware of the risks that these players assume, and I've got no problem with them assuming the risks. I'm not going to say disband football or make it flag football. But what I will say is get what you can and get it while you can get it. This Aaron Rodgers contract situation... And look, I I don't want to go over the top in my criticism here. Aaron Rodgers made himself available to Peter King, the debut for Football Morning in America, a column that appears at ProFootballTalk.com. It's great to see it. Very happy to see it. But when Aaron Rodgers says the only reason he's thinking about his contract is because people are writing about it and talking about it, I don't believe it. He knows he's woefully underpaid. He doesn't need anybody to write it. He knows it. He's smart and he's competitive. Matt Ryan's now making $30 million a year and Aaron Rodgers is making $22 million a year. And he hinted at what he wants. This idea of non-traditional contractual agreement. If anybody at this point is going to be able to do something like that, I think there needs to be a conversation about it. I never said anything about tying the contract to the cap. I just think there's ways to do contracts where you still can be competitive so the team is happy about it, but you have some more freedom. Well, why not tie it to the cap? That's better. What's he want? He wants an out clause? Anybody leapfrogs me? I'm a free agent? Packers aren't going to agree to that. See, the Packers can say, we got you under contract for two more years, Aaron, and then we'll tag you once and we'll tag you twice. That's four years from now, and then you can be Kirk Cousins and you can walk away and you can go play for the Vikings, the Lions, the Bears. I don't care. Because we're going to pay you about $100 million over four years if we do it our way. 
And now what do you want over four years? You want $130 million? We're just going to give you $30 million that we don't have to give you? We can go year to year. And what are you going to do? You're going to retire? You're going to stop playing football because you don't like the natural consequences of the deal you negotiated back in 2013? See, that's the trap that Aaron Rodgers is in. And I think that's why he downplayed how much he's thinking about this. And that's why he's trying to make it look like he's not the one that wants the deal to be fixed. I don't buy any of it. He's smart enough to know the deal that he did that he should have seen that the revenues were going to rise. There was so much talk back in 2013 about a smoothing of the salary cap, and that was all bullshit. There was no smoothing. It spiked. And it started spiking right after Rodgers did his deal. And now here we are. Five years later, the market's gone up $8 million and Rodgers hasn't gotten his new contract. And the Packers... See, here's the thing. The Packers can go passive-aggressive on this. If Rodgers is going to tiptoe around it, if he's not going to come out and say, my deal stinks, my deal needs to be adjusted, and the Packers owe it to me to do that. If he's not willing to come out and be aggressive, Packers just sit back and play dumb. Oh, Ryan doesn't, uh, Aaron doesn't have a problem with the deal. Okay, we don't either. Why do these guys... Not want. I, I don't. Well, I know why. Because they know what happens. See, people are thinking, oh, he's being very critical of Aaron Rodgers. Typical Florio. I, I'm trying to understand why guys won't come out and say, you know what, this is BS. See, Tom Brady won't do it. He's woefully underpaid. Aaron Rodgers won't do it. He's woefully underpaid. Because these guys know that the minute they start doing that, there's going to be a percentage of the fan base that shuts down on them, that refuses to acknowledge the possibility that they may be in the right and that they are being taken advantage of and that the team can afford to pay them. And in, in Green Bay, there's no billionaire hiding behind the curtain stuffing the money into his pockets. They got $34 million extra. $34 million. They're not going to have dividends for the shareholders. I can guarantee you that. That's just money that goes back into the coffers. So they can either come up with some new fancy-schmancy Hall of Fame exhibit or you know put put new seats at Lambeau Field, or just hold on to the money. But they got $34 million extra last year. And how about peeling some of that off for Aaron Rodgers, one of the greatest quarterbacks who ever lived, who is woefully underpaid. At a minimum, just give an extra $8 million for this year to get him up to thirty. Maybe that's the not. Maybe he wants a. Maybe he wants a piece of the net revenue, right? How about that? That's a pretty good non-traditional arrangement. I get 10% of the net revenue. Although you know what? The moment somebody is guaranteed to get a chunk of the net revenue, there will be no net revenue. Always get the gross. Always get the gross. Maybe that's what he should do. What was the gross revenue again? $454 million? What would be a fair percentage of the gross revenue for Aaron Rodgers? How about he has a base salary of $20 million a year plus 5% of the gross? I think that's fair. Then it's not tied to the salary cap. That's a creative idea. I need to write... See, I like doing this because when I do it, it lets me kind of you know, unhinge the brain 
and come up with some ideas, some of which are stupid, some of which aren't all that bad. How about that, Aaron? I'll represent you for free. No, I won't. I can say that because he wouldn't have me represent him if I was the last person on earth capable of representing anyone. But feel free to take that idea back to David Dunn and say, why don't we ask for a percentage of the gross? Now, the Packers would never do it because the management council frowns on that. Oh, okay, or here's more collusion. Collusion hiding in plain sight. The management council won't let us do it. Well, you're an independent business, publicly owned. You can give the most important employee you've ever had. Brett Favre, close. You can give the most important employee you have right now a piece of the gross. They'll never do it, though, because if one guy gets it, others will want it. Anyway, back to my original point. Get what you can. Get what you can while you can. Be creative. Don't be afraid to ask for outlandish shit. Ask for a piece of the gross, Aaron Rodgers. Because where's the profit going? It's going to sit in an account somewhere drawing interest. No one's getting paid that money. So why shouldn't you get paid a chunk of that money? That's my best idea, I don't know, in a long time. Probably in so long that I'd be depressed to know how long it's been. Aaron Rodgers needs to ask for a percentage of the Packers' gross revenue. All right. What else do we have going on? There's a lot of good stuff in Football Morning in America. It's great to click on PFT and see Peter's work there. Peter's a great friend, and he does great work, better work than I could ever hope to do. And every Monday, a cornucopia of information. And we will... See, this is great. It's the ultimate uh, snake eating its own tail. I don't know if that's the best metaphor either. But Peter's going to have the really long column, and then we'll have six, seven, eight stories from PFT that highlight, and maybe add to, maybe my own thoughts. My thoughts may be different than Peter's, and I won't be afraid to say, I think Peter's wrong, because he won't be afraid to say, I think Mike's wrong. So we're going to have some fun, and Peter will be on PFT Live. He's doing his training camp tour, and then every Tuesday, I think it is, he will be on the show from 7 to 9 a.m. Eastern on NBCSN and NBC Sports Radio. It's going to be Chris Sims Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Peter King Tuesday. Now, I think some weeks Sims will do Friday instead of Thursday, depending upon his Notre Dame schedule. We, who knows? Who knows what we're going to do with that extra day? Who knows? But Peter will be joining us, and he already has joined us at NBC and PFT, and it's, it's been a great day because of that. All right, how about I answer some questions? Let me see if I can find... What else was I going to talk about? Did I have anything else? I think I addressed everything I wanted to talk about, so let's answer some of your questions. All right. What do we have here? Let me find the tweet where I asked for It's moving a little slowly today. Here we go. Here we go. Where is it? Where's the bat signal? Here it is. Not many questions today. That's going to pick up soon. Here we go. Oh, the, the guy that runs the PFTPM Posse account had an unexpected death, death in his immediate family. Oh, my goodness. I'm sorry to hear that. I'm going to have to reach out to him and uh, express some condolences. I, I had no idea. 
All right, Brady, just want to say my morning get-up routine and commute have both been audibly more boring the past few weeks. Can't wait to have PFT Live back, getting us ready every weekday morning. Hashtag every day, hashtag PFT, hashtag PFTPM. I'm back next Monday on PFT Live every morning, and then the week after that, we're back on TV. At The Real Forno, am I off base in thinking that Ben McAdoo is just saying anything and everything to stay in the spotlight in some way, shape, or form? Yeah, it was weird. The guy was silent for months, and now all of a sudden, here he goes. And and I have a theory. I, I think what happened was nobody really was trying to talk to the guy because, you know, Ben McAdoo. But then when it got out, and I think it emerged when Peter had an interview with Rick Mace of the Washington Post last week, when it got out that McAdoo had something he was contributing to Peter's debut column, I think that's when, like, the New York Post and others tried to track the guy down. And, and uh, oh, they find out he's willing to talk. He's talking a blue streak now, Jack. So, look, he's saying a lot of things. He's getting paid for the balance of his contract from the Giants at least two or three more years. Sounds like a guy's trying to get into the media. Do you want to see him do color commentary on a game? I don't know. It's... It sounds like he wants a coach, but one very important reality is getting into the media, if you do a good job, that enhances your likelihood of getting back into coaching. I just don't know who's going to hire him. And I don't know, would the headset like slip off of his head with the bro cream? At least the giant pocket on his giant suit would catch it. It wouldn't hit the ground and break. I know that's mean-spirited. But you know what? Nobody forces him to put bro cream in his hair. Nobody forced him to wear that giant suit two years ago. So that's different than something someone can't help. Every morning, and I said this last year, every morning he chose to put some kind of goop in his hair and get out one of those old plastic combs that came in a you know, little plastic sleeve that looked like it was leather, but it wasn't. It was just some shitty brown plastic and just push that and just straight back, straight back. I remember when I was a kid, like after you get out of the shower, you get out the comb and you do that and you comb it straight back and you'd like look at it and say, boy, this looks like shit. And like one person in all of human history has been able to pull that off. It was Pat Riley. No one else can pull that off. No one. The Fonz didn't really do it straight back. I'm talking about straight back. The Fonz had a part. Pat Riley went straight back. McAdoo tried to do straight back and it, it just it just didn't work. Just didn't work. At the Real Forno, over, under on Le'Veon Bell's first game being week four. I'm going under based upon his own words. If he's going to have his best season ever, he's got to be there all season. And in fact, it could be a hint that he's going to be there for part of training camp, part of the preseason. To get himself ready to have that big year. Because he was a little slow out of the gates the last time. I'm kicking myself now as I say this because I wrote an item right before we started the podcast regarding his options. And one of his options that people may not be paying attention to is to indeed show up for part of training camp in the preseason. Sign that tender. So I need to go back and either revise that or write another post because I think that could happen. At Sean Alvashar, don't you find it exhausting listening to college coaches like Jimbo Fisher defend star players? I didn't see what Jimbo had to say. Let me take a look at what Jimbo had to say. I saw that Shereen Williams, who is very loyal to the Texas A&M program, was writing something about new Texas A&M coach Jimbo Fisher. What did he say? At the media day, I don't know the circumstances with Jameis. 
I love Jameis. Hopefully he'll be able to move on. And obviously that is something that he will be able to move on from. Yes, I love him. I think he's a tremendous young man. I really do. He made some bad decisions this past season or whenever he did it. I don't know exactly when that was. I still love him. If you're ever around him, you understand what I mean. There's not a better team player, a guy who works as much as anyone, but he made a mistake. And obviously he'll pay the consequences for that and he'll move on. It happened in March of 2016. And yeah, look. How many mistakes, and this applies to Fisher, it applies to head coaches of any prominent college football program in a relatively small town. How many other guys, how many other players get away with stuff all the time and it gets covered up because locally the authorities are so deeply invested in that program doing well that they make phone calls, they look the other way, They exercise their discretion in a manner that results in the football coach and the football program getting what it wants. The Impact 99, does the Le'Veon Bell Steelers situation help or hurt their perception as the favorite in the AFC this season? I don't know they're perceived as the favorite in the AFC this season. I wouldn't make them the favorite in the AFC. They lost to Jacksonville twice at home last year, and the Jaguars are a bit as good as they were last year. I don't think they're the favorite in the AFC. I don't think it's a factor. I don't think it's a factor. Bell will be there week one. The question is, how much earlier does he show up? He will be motivated. Supremely motivated. And we'll see if they can ride him to glory. Their first Super Bowl win in what would be 10 years, exactly. It was the 19, yeah, 2008 season when they beat the Cardinals in Super Bowl 43. At Andy Thompson 95, looking into next offseason, what are some of the possible landing spots for Le'Veon Bell? You know, I'd have said the 49ers if they hadn't given all that money to Jarek McKinnon. Plenty of teams have cap space. Plenty of teams have cash. Plenty of teams recognize what it means to spend money on great players. What if LaShawn McCoy is done in Buffalo now or next year? Could the Bills cough up the money necessary to get LaShawn McCoy? That would be huge. How about the Dolphins? They got Frank Gore for one year. How about the Jets? Sam Darnold and Le'Veon Bell together in the backfield? The Ravens pluck him away from a division rival. The Browns? They didn't draft Saquon Barkley. They got some young guys. Nick Chubb was added via the draft. They added Carlos Hyde to a free agent deal, but they got the money. They could do it if they want. What if the Texans decide to pair Le'Veon Bell with Deshaun Watson, move on from Lamar Miller? How about the Colts? What do they have at tailback? There's a lot of teams out there. If they have the cash and the cap space, they could justify doing it. How about the Raiders? Marshawn Lynch out the door. John Gruden plugs Le'Veon Bell into that offense, running and catching. Oh my goodness. Carry that guy into Las Vegas? That's just the AFC teams. Looking at the NFC, now, the Cowboys and Giants are covered. Washington will be happy with Darius Geis for a year or two. The Eagles, they got Jay Ajayi. And I don't think they'd be, I don't don't think they would, boy, that'd be scary if Le'Veon Bell was with the Eagles. The Packers, ooh, the Packers. How about some of that $34 million? I don't know what their cap situation is, but they definitely have the revenue if they want to do it. The Vikings are covered. The Falcons are good. The Panthers are fine. The Saints have their guys. The Bucks, eh, Ronald Jones. Eh. Cardinals have David Johnson. They'd like to keep him around. The Seahawks, what if eh, they love Rashad Penny, but 
There'll be plenty of teams, and somebody will pay him a crap load of money. Gong Show West, because you screened Goodfellas annually during the PFT Summit, does that mean it's your favorite movie of all time? If not, what is? I don't, I, you know, what is my all-time favorite movie? What's the one movie I would watch if I could only watch one more movie and then I was going to drop dead? It probably would be Goodfellas. Probably. I mean, that is one movie I consistently watch. And, and the PFT Summit is coming later this week. We will be watching Goodfellas. And hopefully I'll make it all the way through Goodfellas this time. Last time, the, uh, the, the adult beverages caught up to me and it was time to go to bed. Um, I really like my cousin Vinny, but I haven't watched it lately. I, 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 one of my sneaky all-time favorite movies is called The Prestige with Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale. That movie is excellent. And that was a movie that when I, and, and maybe this is the best test for what makes a movie great. When I watched it the first time, I instantly wanted to watch it again. Gladiator. I remember renting Gladiator on a VHS tape in 2001. Watched it one night and decided, screw it. I'm not taking it back. I'm watching it again. Gladiator's a movie I could watch over and over again. That's one I haven't watched lately that I need to watch. So I'd say Goodfellas is probably up at the top but closely followed by Gladiator, The Prestige, and My Cousin Vinny. And, and man, I, I, I love nothing more than a great movie. A movie that stays with you, that you're thinking about it the next day, that you'll want to watch it again, that there's lines that you want to memorize, and there just aren't enough great movies. There are good movies, but there aren't enough great movies. Dirtbag1327, does your office smell of rich mahogany? No. No, actually, my office ends up, and I started burning candles in here. My office is what was a bedroom in the house that we live in. And so it's got a bathroom and it's got a shower. Now, I work out every day, and my workout clothes end up in the bathroom in the vicinity of the shower. And after a couple of days, the sweaty shirt, because I like, like soaked all the way through in sweat after I do cardio, it gets a little ripe. So I burn a candle. So it smells like whatever this candle is when I burn it. But it hasn't been bad lately. It hasn't been that bad, but it's definitely not mahogany. And maybe I should just keep the door shut on the bathroom. Maybe that would help. At Shaken Blake 95 what are the odds that Bell gets a fully guaranteed contract next offseason? Well, if he's looking at two or three years, good chance of getting fully guaranteed. He could do the Kirk Cousins thing, where he does a two- or three-year deal and every penny is guaranteed. He's going to be one of the rare players that has the leverage to do that. When you're the guy that hits the open market and you have multiple teams that are seriously pursuing you, you can set your terms. So, yeah, he could say, I want fully guaranteed, but they're not going to give him four or five years fully guaranteed, especially not at tailback. Two or three is all he could hope for. The question is, how much is he going to get walking right through the door? And how much is that going to add to the 26.6, 26.7 he will have made in 2017 and 2018? Uncle Larry 112, what should be the most important benefit or change for the NFLPA to try to get when negotiating the next CBA? I just think they should want more money. I just don't think they get enough money. A bigger chunk of revenues toward the salary cap 
and more importantly, a higher spending floor. Because right now, teams can just cram millions into their pockets. Because for every team that spends to the limit, there's a team that finds a way to spend to the minimum. I think increase the salary floor, increase the salary cap. You know, people will push niche positions like get rid of the franchise tag. Well, there aren't going to be enough players to get behind that. Get rid of the marijuana prohibition. There aren't enough players to get behind that. I think that you go for more money. And given that the owners have not complained at all in the last seven years about the financial aspects of the current CBA, that tells me they're happy with what they're making. So more money for the players, without question. And if ownership wants 18 regular season games, a lot more money for the players, plus more roster spots, plus this kind of kooky, off-the-wall experiment where every player would be limited to 16 games in an 18-game regular season. Don't rule that out. Don't rule that out. Another one from Shake and Blake 95. Do you think Eli Manning's benching in the subsequent backlash the Giants received saved his starting spot this year? Maybe they would have drafted their next QB at number two if that didn't happen. I, I don't disagree with that. I think they were were stunned and, and wounded by the criticism for the way they handled Eli Manning during the 2017 season. And, you know, people claim all the time that teams only make decisions for football reasons. Baloney. This is an entertainment business, and you have to convince fans to part with their time, with their money, with their emotion. And if you piss off a fan base that feels a high degree of gratitude toward a guy that won two Super Bowls with some of the the best performances we've ever seen, clutch throws, the helmet catch, the throw to Mario Manningham, one of the more underrated throws in NFL history in relation to really what it did and what it meant. Yeah, Giants fans are upset, and Eli Manning should be able to walk away on his own terms. At 02359 Raider, what's the maximum number of games Bell can sit out and still get paid? If he did that, what other teams hold it against him in 2019? Sort of like a Kaepernick situation. He can show up no later than the Tuesday after week 10. Now, there's a game that the Steelers could play to force him to show up a little earlier. There's like an exempt list you can put him on that pushes that back a couple of weeks. But I think he's going to show up. I mean, he says he's going to have his best year ever. You're not going to have your best year ever if you don't show up until November. At Dane's ways, how much do you see Bell getting as a free agent? Do you think it will be a big difference from the Steelers' offer? Well, I don't know what their current offer is. They'll probably leak enough of it to make it look good. The full details of last year's deal were never leaked. I mean, the problem is, how do you value this? You got 14-5 in hand. What's next year? Right? And the market for running backs right now is around 8-9 million. What's Bell get? Does he get 12 million a year? 13 million a year. Remember, the cap's going to keep going up, and there will be a team out there that understands that he has value when it comes to winning games, and he has value when it comes to selling tickets. Teams that are struggling to fill the stadium, you get Le'Veon Bell, and you put him in that stadium, you put him on the marketing materials, you start selling his jersey, you're going to generate excitement, and someone will do it. Someone will say, We'll worry later about whether or not we win games. We're going to be able to market Le'Veon Bell and make a lot of money back. we got to spend the money anyway. Well, we got to spend up to the floor. Let's spend it on a guy that's going to create some excitement. I, I just finished reading Jeff Perlman's USFL book. He's going to be on the podcast on Wednesday, I believe. And 
It's very easy to justify spending money on players who will bring money in, and Bell is a player who will bring money in. Paul PJ5, if the players go on strike, are they able to stage games like you've been suggesting? And if the owners lock out the players, are they able to bring in replacement players? I think there's an argument to be made for replacement players in the event of a lockout. I think the NFL shies away from that. If there's a strike, the owners would lock out the players, or the owners would replace the players. The question becomes, would the players stage their own games? I don't know how practical it is, but it's something that somebody who works for the players should be exploring all the way through to its possible conclusion to see if it makes sense, because that's a way to create a revenue stream that could make players willing to say, we will stay away. We will skip game checks. We will go do our own thing and we'll compete head to head with your scabs, with your replacement players. All right, I probably should wrap it up. Some of these other questions are repetitive. Here's one. At Mike Likes Dirt. Other than practice, what resources, classes, books, mentors did you use to develop your writing skills on NFLTalk.com and then PFT? What advice would you give to aspiring writers in sports or otherwise? I learned to write by reading. By becoming some... And, and reading actively. You know, I, I, I've read a couple of books during this downtime and I don't read very fast because I read and I try to absorb it and I try to appreciate the writing and I understand or at least try to understand different devices different techniques how long is a paragraph how long is a sentence writing for effect and I you know look I I was always a math and science guy I've, I've, I've told this story before I think I was always math and science it always came naturally to me, especially math. There was something very beautiful about its simplicity. There was no gray area. You had the right answer or you had the wrong answer in all forms of math. It was a formula. It was a calculation. It was a puzzle. It was fun. It was fun to try to crack the code. It was fun to try to figure it out. It was fun to do something where you knew that there was a clear answer. There was nothing fuzzy about it. There was no subjectivity involved. Now, with science, you, you take something that has subjectivity and you try to make it as objective as possible. And I didn't really like that aspect of it as much. But once I got into college and I realized I was reaching the limits of my mathematical abilities because we got into calculus and advanced engineering mathematics and, and physics and... Okay. <laughs> It's one thing to know your your times tables and to be able to do algebra. It's another thing to figure out this high-level shit. And that was when I started to transition toward writing. And there, I think, is a mechanical aspect to writing that you learn in time. There's a, it's, it's a tool for communication, and it can be linear, and it can be objective. Now, there's an art to it as well. It's a combination of objectivity and subjectivity, just like most other things. But, you know, I've, I've developed a rhythm and a formula... And a, a little bit of a flair, right? You want to have a little turn of phrase, whether it's alliteration, whether it's avoiding using the same words twice within proximity, different devices. Don't use semicolon twice in an article. Don't use a dash twice in an article. Just little things that have just kind of sunk in over the years. But I read writing, good writing, bad writing. I used to read USA Today all the time. And I think one thing I learned from USA Today, reading it back in the 80s, before it was like... 
a, a cheesy little pamphlet that looks like it was printed you know, on a mimeograph machine at an old grade school somewhere. Because now I, I pick it up and I put it right down. I don't even read it now. I don't know if they changed the, the font. It just, it feels like, all due respect to whatever friends we have at USA Today, the current USA Today feels like a cheap knockoff of the USA Today of the 80s. But back in the 80s, I'd grab that newspaper. Look, this is pre-internet. And I didn't have cable TV. Um... And I was interested in what was going on in the world, 21, 22 years old. I, 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 you know, I'm in college, law school, whatever. You get the paper, and I'd always start with the sports section, and then I'd, I'd read the rest of it. And I look forward to it. I remember this part of my morning routine. Getting, and I know people like, oh, the USA Today's, oh, it's bullshit. It's, all, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a rudimentary, whatever. The, the writing style was very clear, and it was very clean for the most part. And, and I learned a lot reading USA Today every day. And I, and I miss that, not having that, um, not getting that newspaper, not having that element. I, you know, I'd, I'd get it in the morning on the way to work, on the way to the office, whatever office I had, whatever law firm I was working at. And at some point throughout the course of the day, I'd have a chance to read it all, whether I was eating uh, you know, something at my desk in the morning or would run out the subway or some other place to grab lunch. I, I, you know, I, my day wasn't complete until I had a chance to go through every page of the USA Today. And I remember like what day of the week's different features would show up. And you know, I, I, I enjoyed it, and I learned part of, part of learning how to write came from that. And also, you know, in law school, that's when the, the, the switch flipped on. on it, it is a tool of communication. It's not licensed to just meander like I'm meandering now and meander from time to time. You ultimately want your audience to embrace, to understand, to be informed by, and hopefully, hopefully to be entertained by what you write. And really, that's the goal for everything you do, especially in a business like this, where there are a lot of different places people can get their information. Have I given you something to think about? Have I given you new information that you didn't already have? And have I entertained you in some way? Have I helped you get through your day the way that that USA Today used to help me get through mine? And I enjoy that I can provide that. Even I don't know how many people. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. 10, 20, 100, 1,000. I don't know. But if, if we can now, at the website, we know the numbers. We see them all the time. And the numbers are huge. I, I'd like to get this to that same level, and maybe it'll get there in time. But, uh, but anyway, good question. Good questions across the board today. Tomorrow, see, we do the the NBC PFT get together in a couple of phases. We do the broader NBC meeting, which we'll, we'll, we'll have a NBC sports.com discussion and then it'll be a little TV talk in there. And we'll do that tomorrow. Later in the week is the PFT live get together where uh, we'll, we'll go over our plans for um, in a haze of, of adult beverages, our plans for the coming season. Sims is not showing up. He's got a family vacation that ended up being scheduled this week, and that pisses me off. So you know how it goes. When there's a club, whoever doesn't show up is the one who gets talked about. That is the consequence of not showing up. So from Thursday to Saturday, we're going to be talking about Sims relentlessly. And it's not as much fun as it otherwise would be because there's nothing I'll say about Sims when he's not here that I wouldn't say to him when he was here. And frankly, it'd be more fun if he is here to say it to him to see his reaction. But you'll be hearing and seeing me say things to him coming in two weeks when PFT Live is back on TV. Radio again, it's back next Monday. PFT PM, as many times as I can squeeze it in this week. And maybe what we'll do, 
Thursday and Friday, we will have Stats and Matt Casey here. Now, I got two microphones, but we can work it out. Maybe we can do PFTPM with both of them if they're if they're willing to do it. Maybe they will be. Only one way to find out. Stay tuned for later in the week to see how that develops. I'll do something on Wednesday for sure with Jeff Perlman. We'll be back later in the week with that. Check us out around the clock at profootballtalk.com. Have a great day. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.